This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. Father, we, we pray that you would help us as we begin a new study this morning of Proverbs that we would see Jesus in the Proverbs. We would make a colossal mistake if we thought that we could live lives of, of wisdom apart from the way of wisdom. And we know that Jesus is the way. And so help us to humble ourselves beneath you and to understand that we're not meant to do life alone, that we can't do it alone, that we, we desperately need your way, your wisdom for our lives. And so we pray that you would speak to us over these next three weeks, these next six weeks in, in this series, and use it to draw us closer to Jesus. And we pray it in his powerful name. Amen. Well, open your Bibles to the book of Proverbs. This morning, we're beginning a new series. Um, it's called The Way of Wisdom. And so what we're going to be doing for the next six weeks is sort of distilling the themes of the book of Proverbs. It has 31 chapters. So typically here, we're, we're walking through a book of the Bible, sort of verse by verse and chapter by chapter. I'm not going to try to do that with Proverbs. Instead, what we're going to do for the next six weeks is we're going to look at sort of the, the primary themes, distilling some of those themes that we see throughout this book. It is incredibly practical. You know that if you're familiar with Proverbs. And so it's about life. <laughs> it's about living. And so what Proverbs does is in a very vivid, colorful way, it sort of presents word pictures of wisdom and folly. <laughs> there's a way of wisdom and there's a way of, of folly. And Proverbs shows us both in, in, in a, a very colorful way that grabs our attention. And so for the next six weeks, we're going to explore that. And I think it, you will benefit tremendously from it. So this morning, we're going to kind of introduce things. And so we're going to look at chapter one of Proverbs and verses one through seven. Let's look at it together. Proverbs one and verses one through seven. And so Let's read those verses and follow along in your copy of, of God's word. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction. To understand words of insight. To receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity. To give prudence to the simple. Knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles, the fear of the Lord 
is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. One of the most aggravating things is not being able to find your car key when you leave the house. And, you know, in my case, I'll budget time and I'll plan to leave with plenty of margin, you know, to get where I'm going and kind of everything is in place and I I know exactly how long it's going to take and I've got it kind of all mapped out and then I get ready to leave at the designated time and you know what it feels like not to be able to find your key. And, you know, you'd plan for it not to be any, any stress at all, plenty of margin, and you're ready to leave and you, you, can't, you can't find the key that you need. Old Testament scholar Derek Kidner speaks of a much more important key. Kidner says, Proverbs offers a key to life. The samples of behavior which it holds up could be summed up in the question, is this wisdom or folly? So for the next six weeks, we're going to be looking at the way of wisdom. And before we dive in, I want us to understand a couple of sort of foundational things about Proverbs. First, God gives us the book of Proverbs because he loves us. Sometimes I think we're prone to read Proverbs and we think, well, you know, it's just kind of all laws and do's and don'ts and that type of thing. But we need to understand that God gives us the Proverbs out of his love. Another Old Testament scholar, Ray Ortland, says this, as we come to the book of Proverbs, God does not intend to crush us with layer upon layer of demand. He intends to help us. The book of Proverbs is practical help from God for weak people like us stumbling through daily life. It is his counsel for the perplexed, his strength for the defeated, his warning for the proud, his mercy for the broken. And so God gives us the Proverbs out of love. And another thing that we need to understand about them is that God gives them to us because he wants us to have repeated exposure to them. Proverbs is a book that is meant to be read over and over throughout life because it gives us the principles that we need for the living of this life. I first read Proverbs in my 20s. And it was the first time that I read the Bible through, cover to cover. And I was using a one-year Bible plan. And so in the one-year Bible plan, you read a passage from the Old Testament, the New Testament, and then a bit from Psalms and Proverbs each day. And, and I remember that as I read these Proverbs for the first time, I can just remember like nodding my head day after day like, Yes! This makes so much sense, and in many cases, I wish I had applied this a few years ago. Um, when you read Proverbs, you're going to have, you have that head nodding sense over and over and over again because you just see the, the wisdom of God. But it's meant for us to have repeated exposure 
so that the principles get down deep. For years, Billy Graham would read a chapter of Proverbs every day. There are 31 chapters, and so he would cycle through the book of Proverbs every month. And and however you choose to do it, the Proverbs are meant to be read over and over throughout the course of your life so that the principles get down deep. What we're going to do today as we look at these first seven verses is sort of lay out sort of a roadmap. The first thing that we see in verse 1 is the title, the title of Proverbs. Verse 1, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. So what is a proverb? Well, in our culture, a proverb is sort of a catchy, uh, sound-bite-ish bit of advice or common sense. You know, look before you leap. The early bird gets the worm. Well, biblical proverbs are similar to modern proverbs in that they are also catchy and they have sort of a sound bite-ish quality to them. But biblical proverbs offer much more than good advice or common sense. The Hebrew word for proverb means to be like, to represent. And so what the Proverbs of Scripture are doing is that they're like little models for life, little models of wisdom, little models of folly. In in 1903, when the, the Wright brothers flew for the first time down in the Outer Banks, they They took off that day with a great deal of confidence that they were going to fly. And the reason they had confidence is because they had built a wind tunnel where they could test different wing designs before they risked their necks in an actual flight. Proverbs allows us to do something like that. Proverbs sort of allows, it shows us real life situations so that we can sort of experience them in in a virtual reality and we can know in advance what is going to fly and what is going to crash. The primary author of Proverbs is King Solomon who knew plenty about what it was like both to fly and to crash. And God gives him wisdom for us to learn the wisdom of God. Let's talk about the goals of Proverbs. And we see those in in, in verses 2 and 3. The goals of Proverbs. Verses 2 and 3. To know wisdom and instruction to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity. So we see two primary goals of Proverbs here in verses two and three. The first is godly character. Godly character. In verse three, he says that we, we want to be becoming people of righteousness, justice, 
and equity. Now, God has built into each of us a sense of these things. It's built it into every human being. And we see that even in kids. I mean, like even in early childhood, you know, if you've been around kids, raised kids or whatever, you know that when they get together to play, uh, any place, anywhere, any culture, when even little kids get together uh, to play, eventually um, what's going to be said or maybe shouted is, that's not fair. <laughs> um, and so we have from like early, the earliest age, kind of a built-in sense of fairness, of justice, um, righteousness, it's, it's, it's built into human beings, which of course you know, reflects the image of God. And um, you know, even people who, who think that there is no objective sense of right and wrong. I mean, even atheists who would maybe say, well, I don't believe in sort of a God-given objective sense of right and wrong. Well, well even someone like that will will sort of get mighty put out <laughs> and offended <laughs> um, if their sense of right and wrong gets violated. C.S. Lewis, in a famous passage in, in Mere Christianity, says this. He says, whenever you find a man who says he does not believe in a real right and wrong, you will find the same man going back on this a moment later. He may break his promise to you, but if you try breaking one to him, he will be complaining it's not fair before you can say Jack Robinson. So we have this built-in sense of righteousness, justice, equity, fairness. But not only that, we have a yearning for a world that is like that. We have a, a, a deep yearning for a world that is not so broken. We look around and we see examples of, of brokenness all around us and in and, 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 and other lives and sometimes even in our own lives. And we yearn for a world that's, that's, that's not broken. We, we yearn for a world of, of justice, a, a world where there is no injustice. We yearn for a world of, of, of righteousness and where people are at peace with one another Righteousness, justice, equity. We, 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 we yearn for a world like this. And the reason that we yearn for a world like that is because God created a world like that. God created a perfect world. Of perfect righteousness, justice, and equity. And even though his perfect creation has now been marred by sin... Part of being a new creation in Christ is sort of unlearning the sinful ways of this world and relearning the wisdom of God, how to live according to his design. That's what Proverbs is all about. And so one of the goals of Proverbs is godly character, and a second is good sense. 
Look at verses two and, and three again. He speaks here of wisdom, words of insight, wise dealing. So Proverbs gives us skill and competence in the art of living. It's just really cool to see people who are super skilled at what they do. If you like sports, I mean, like to, I love baseball, and to watch a pitcher who can sort of carve up a batter with just the perfect sequence of pitches, or a perfectly designed football play where everybody's working together and everything comes off as it's designed to be. You know, we're just sort of a beautiful, flowing golf swing. Or just seeing people who are just super skilled with their hands. I wish I was one of those people. I'm not. But just to watch people who are just great. They're super skilled with, uh, with their hands. Or just people in their professions who, who just possess just a high level of competency and skill. I mean, that's part of God's glory. I remember when Courtney, uh, our daughter Courtney, was uh, was just a little baby. And just the first few days of her life, she was having difficulty swallowing. And she was losing weight instead of gaining weight. And so, I mean, Melissa and I obviously, we would have moved heaven and earth to help our precious little girl, uh, but we felt helpless. And I'll never forget the day that we took her over to CHKD and they allowed us to stay in the room as they were doing this. But these doctors and nurses, just watching them do their jobs. <laughs> and we could even see up on the screen what was happening. And they took over and I mean, things started to happen, good things. And within like 20 minutes or so, they had the problem diagnosed, <laughs> they had the remedy <laughs> prescribed because of their skill, their competence in understanding little babies. But here's the irony that we see in our culture. We're seeing like all of these incredible advances. I mean, the new iPhone came out this week and I mean, it seems like Every week, there's, there are these incredible advances, technological advances, and yet people are crashing and burning. Even super smart people who should know better are crashing and burning at life. It doesn't have to be that way. God gives us a better way. And even when we've failed and we've all failed and we've all crashed and burned in different ways, his amazing grace that we sung about is enough for a new beginning. And Proverbs is also about that. God invites us to just come and to sit at his feet and to learn the way of wisdom. He invites us to come. Look at verses four and five, to give prudence to the simple knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning and the one who understands obtain guidance. So if you are 
young, if you're a child, a student, a youth, God invites you to, to, to come to listen. Learn these things. Learn them now before crashes happen. And so if you're young, he invites you to learn these things. If you are working with people who are young, if you're a parent, a grandparent, a teacher, if you just have an, an interest in helping children or students learn these things, know these things. But if you are a mature, growing person who values wisdom, and, and maybe you've known God for many, many years, and you're, you've been seeking to walk with him for many, many years, part of wisdom is understanding how much we don't know and how much more we have to learn. And so this is why he says here in verse five, let the wise hear and increase in learning because a mark of wisdom is the humility to understand that you're still a learner and you wanna increase in, in learning. Third, the theme of Proverbs. If we could distill the theme of Proverbs into a single drop, a single verse, it would undoubtedly be verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Now, this is classic Hebrew poetry. It has an A line and a B line. And the B line sort of clarifies and amplifies the A line. So let's look at them one by one. First of all, the A line. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Christian philosopher Dallas Willard once said, you don't even begin to get smart until you begin to fear God. But what is the fear of God. Verse one says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. So we need to ask, what is the fear of the Lord? Uh, again, I, I think that Ray Ortland is very wise when he says this. What then is the fear of the Lord? It is not a cringing dread before the Lord. It is not a guilty, oh no, here comes God, I'm in for it now. The fear of the Lord is openness to him, eagerness to please him, humility to be instructed by him. I love that, that last sentence. The fear of the Lord is openness to him, eagerness to please him, humility to be instructed by him. Old Testament scholar Derek Kidner puts it this way. Kidner says, the fear of the Lord is a worshiping submission to the God of the covenant. In other words, the fear of the Lord is, is the humility to say, God's the king <laughs> and I'm not. <laughs> and so I'm gonna abdicate. <laughs> I'm gonna climb down off the throne <laughs> and I'm gonna let God be God. 
I'm, I'm submitting myself, Lord, to your kingship. And I humbly want to be instructed by you. And I am eager to please you. And I am open to you. Now the failure to do that very thing is what leads to the futility and the folly that we see in this world. Paul, in the first chapter of Romans, says this. He says of human beings in verses 21 and 22, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And the beeline of verse seven speaks about fools. It says, fools despise wisdom and instruction. Now, the word despise here is a strong word, isn't it? It means to have a contempt for. In other words, the fool has a contempt for wisdom and instruction. They have a, an, an arrogance toward God's wisdom, an aloofness toward God's wisdom. The fool says, I'm above it. Too smart for it. Too busy for it. I'm my own king, my own wisdom. I don't need God, don't need his wisdom. Not gonna humble myself. Verse seven is the theme of Proverbs. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. It all flows from that. Fourth, the savior of Proverbs. The savior of Proverbs. We would make a huge mistake if we tried to read Proverbs without Jesus. And here's why. Because you could know all 31 chapters, you could memorize every proverb cold, and you could intellectually understand what is being said. But without Jesus, you still have a, a nature that is enslaved by sin. And you would lack the power to live the wisdom that is talked about in this book. But when we come to Christ in repentance and faith, when we turn to him, we're given the Holy Spirit who empowers us to live differently because we need more than to know the ways of righteousness and justice and equity. We need the power to live these things. And we can't do that without the Holy Spirit and without Jesus, we don't have the Holy Spirit. Jesus not only forgives our sins, but he gives us the power to be free to live these things out. Listen to this good news and, that Paul gives us in, in 1 Corinthians 1, 
23 and 24. He says, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. This is good news. And so believe this good news. Turn to this king who loves you so much that he died for you. That he took your sins upon himself on the cross and defeated sin and death and rose from the dead. Turn to this king, receive him. Turn to him in repentance and faith. Say, I'm tired, I'm sick and tired of of being sick and tired. I'm tired of trying to do life my own way. And Jesus, I turn to you. I'm tired of trying to be my own king. I want you to be my king, my Lord, my savior. I, I submit my life to you, I give it to you. Turn to him. Because in Christ, we find forgiveness. We find new life. We find the power of God and the wisdom of God. Colossians 2 says of of Christ, it says, in Christ, Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You know, at Christmas, One of the verses that we, we love to read is that prophecy of, of Jesus, of the birth of Jesus in Hebrews 9, 6. You know it. For to us, a, a child is born. To us, a son is, is given. The government will be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Jesus invites us to do life with him as our wonderful counselor. He is the way of wisdom. He's the way. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you, you gave your son for us. <clears throat> we thank you that instead of leaving us to just wallow in darkness and futility and folly, that you gave your son for us. We thank you that there's forgiveness of sins, there is new life, there is power for life, wisdom for life that is found in in him. And so we pray that you would would draw us close to the the Savior. So we just continue to reflect before the Lord right now with our heads bowed and eyes eyes closed. Um, Perhaps you're here today and you entered into this room not with Jesus as your savior and your king. He invites you to turn to him now. He loves you. He's given his life for you. Died for you. Rose. He's the king. He's the savior. Turn to him today. Confess your need for him, your need for his forgiveness and his kingship and your life and and give him your trust and your loyal allegiance. Say, Lord, I wanna follow you as my savior, my Lord, my king. If you're here today as as a, 
a person who's known Christ for maybe a long time. We need to humble ourselves and understand how much more we have to learn. It's a a matter of, of just daily humbling ourselves before the the Lord and, and, and keeping ourselves in that, that posture of humility as we seek to walk with Him and live in the way of His wisdom. So Lord, speak to our hearts. Work deeply in our lives over the course of these next six weeks. And we ask it in Jesus' name. If you're here today and God's speaking to you about a relationship with him, um, we would love to talk with you about that. We would love to to come alongside and and pray with you and talk to you. I'm going to be right here at the front um, this morning and after the service. If you just want to talk and pray, please know we are here for you. If you're here and God's speaking to you about uh, a a relationship with him, about uh, being a part of our church family um, about baptism. Uh, We would love to be able to come alongside and talk with you about any of those things. So stand together as we sing. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1.12, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving Father, and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with them. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. Find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you to come to one of our services. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I can help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.